Thank you, right. Never get used to that one. Okay, thanks, Stan. Okay, I'll begin with, um, I think for anybody um, who's got any sort of knowledge of um, ecology or history, very unsurprising news um, from a study by the Natural History uh, Museum. This is in the run-up to the UN's Biodiversity Conference, which is called COP15. Exactly why it's called COP15, I'm not quite sure. Presumably it's the 15th meeting of this um, particular body. Um, but beyond that, I, I don't know. I, I do find um, um, the sort of COP when it comes to climate quite straightforward. I didn't know there were more COPs uh, around, so to speak. Anyway, what it finds, um, as I said, is no surprise. And that is that Britain is um, the bottom uh, when it comes to biodiversity uh, of the G7 uh, countries, and it ranks in the bottom 10% uh, globally. Now, one, what all one needs to know um, in terms of um, uh, this is, first of all, that um, Britain, unlike uh, a lot of Europe, um, is a very good country for chopping down your trees and um, establishing agriculture. Uh, and that is something that happened, I don't know how many thousand years ago, um, but if I said 5,000 years ago, that seems to be, uh, um, you know, roundabout right. So if we look at, uh, you know, agriculture, um, what we're dealing with is the Neolithic, and we're talking about the transition from sort of cattle um, over to um, crop um, production. And then all you need to do is add to that um, the Industrial Revolution. And the Industrial Revolution, of course, began, um, how should we put it, um, really with a combination of water power and um, wood uh, power. So if you look at the um, iron uh, industry, it was associated with water because water uh, could turn your, um, your water mill and uh, wood, um, that was the fuel that you used to melt, um, melt your iron, um, which meant coppicing, uh, which you can still see lots of evidence of um, in terms of remaining uh, woodlands, for example, in places like Surrey and Sussex, which are not normally associated with um, industry, uh, but they were. Either way, um, the lack of um, biological diversity, I don't think should come as any surprise to us because we're not only talking about the industrial revolution we're also talking about the agricultural revolution we're talking about enclosures and we're talking about very aggressive uh, monoculture uh, i think that sort of comes in um, in a particularly noticeable way in the 1960s and the 1970s and certainly you know as someone who's getting on a bit now um, I, I can see that in my lifetime. You know, I was talking to a comrade 
uh, earlier in the week about remembering, are they called murmurations of starlings? Uh, but I remember, you know, uh, as a young kid, just looking up at the sky um, and it going dark and not just dark for a couple of seconds, but for minute after minute after minute uh, as these birds uh, traveled south, they end up in South Africa. Uh, now, um, and I see a starling um, occasionally, but I don't see that sort of huge uh, numbers um, um, any, anymore. Anyway, there's all sorts of examples uh, that can be given. Uh, but as I said, the conclusion uh, that the Natural History Museum uh, came to uh, doesn't uh, surprise me. And if we look at other G7 members, what you're dealing with in general um, are countries which are bigger um, and um, also uh, are countries uh, that have a different uh, geography uh, to Britain. I have to add in here, um, um, you know, my own um, advocacy of uh, rewilding uh, Britain. Um, I wouldn't want to go back uh, to pre-Neolithic times. I don't think you could, even if you wanted to, you know. Uh, nonetheless, when it comes to things like grouse moors, uh, when it comes to, how should I put it, uh, uh, sheep farming up there in the hills, um, I'm definitely in favour of uh, letting it go. And whether you plant trees or simply say, uh, you know, let, let nature itself sort, its, sort itself out, um, I'm pretty uh, indifferent on. Either way, when I look at the Lake District, I don't look at it and go, wow, uh, isn't that magnificent? I go, Jesus, what a, what an obscenity, uh, uh, because, uh, you know, the lack of vegetation um, is deliberate. It's either sheep um, uh, or it's burn, burning, uh, which you have to do uh, in order to um, basically uh, make the place fit uh, for sport. Um, Anyway, that's just a, a particular comment. And of course, it's in light of, in terms of my consciousness, not the uh, COP15 uh, meeting, uh, but the COP26 uh, meeting, where of course, Boris Johnson will be going uh, to, the Queen will be going to, Joe Biden will be going to, uh, but will um, President Z uh, be going? We don't know uh, yet. Okay, um, having mentioned, well, at least the President of the United States, just worthwhile um, looking um, over at Iowa, which is one of the first states, I think, uh, in the US election cycle uh, that has a, a primary um, election. We're not talking about that at the moment, but we are talking about uh, Donald Trump campaigning um, in that uh, state maybe uh, with a view of running uh, for president um, uh, again. Um, we don't know whether he will, we don't know whether he, he won't. What we do know is he's got a very firm grip uh, over the Republican party uh, at the present time. And it would be surprising, at least where we sit at the moment, that if he did decide to go, uh, that he wouldn't get the nomination. Um, just looking at some um, opinion polls in Iowa, uh, 
um, no surprise that uh, Democrat voters don't like him and wouldn't welcome him, him, welcome him uh, running uh, again, let alone winning. On the other hand, the figure I've got here, uh, this is, a, this is uh, for Republican uh, voters. You know, in the United States, you um, uh, register uh, for one party or you can be an independent. Um, either way, 91% of registered uh, Republican uh, supporters would welcome uh, Donald Trump uh, running uh, for president again. And one would guess that they would hope that their man uh, wins. Um, uh, on that subject, it's worthwhile quoting, not as gospel, but uh, showing you uh, at least where some people um, are, are when it comes to thinking. And that's Fiona Hill. Remember her? I think she's Newcastle. Uh, born, uh, but now an American citizen and, and operates uh, in uh, the uh, US state uh, machine. Anyway, for Fiona Hill, um, if Donald Trump ran and if Donald Trump won, uh, then democracy will be done. It will be over. And, um, you know, looking at uh, Trump first time round, um, I can see why, um, you know, that remark uh, is being made, um, you know, well before um, the election, it was clear that Trump uh, was uh, making, how should I put it, moves uh, to circumvent uh, the uh, popular vote. And I know that in the United States, um, it's a state system, it's an indirect election through electors. Um, nonetheless, it was clear, you know, when it came to Black Lives Matter and trying to mobilize the army, uh, what Donald Trump uh, was uh, up to in the same way, stacking uh, the courts, not only the Supreme Court, but lower courts. Uh, this was all being done in light of um, uh, Trump's very low uh, poll ratings, uh, the appalling way uh, that he was handling uh, covid uh, 19. Um, and, in, and in that sense, uh, if we look at uh, uh, January the 6th, which I didn't ever think um, he would pull it off, but it's clear what that was about. It, it was about intimidating a Congress. It was about intimidating his own uh, vice president uh, to actually um, um, overrule, to discount um, uh, delegates uh, that would have, um, uh, well, that, that were, um, um, I'm saying mandated, I don't think that's how it works, but anyway, that would have voted uh, to confirm um, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, and what we know now, which is interesting, isn't it, with um, General Miley, uh, is that uh, against uh, Donald Trump's attempted self-coup, um, he was basically going outside the constitutional framework and was instructing those around him uh, to keep the fascists out, quote, unquote, uh, that if Donald Trump had moved, um, he would have been escorted out of the White House uh, by the U.S. Army. Um, that's what General Miley um, were, were, was planning um, and telling his people that that's what they um, had to do. So I, I think that uh, uh, in terms of um, the weekly worker, uh, I think the observations of Daniel Lazar 
uh, are well made when he talks about two uh, coups uh, going on. None of them came to um, anything, uh, but it's clear uh, that we weren't just dealing with um, a demonstration uh, that got out of hand. We were dealing with an attempt by a sitting president uh, to remain the sitting president in spite of not only the popular vote, which I think Biden won by something like six million, uh, but also um, uh, the vote according uh, to the uh, state uh, delegates. Uh, whichever way you count it, uh, it's clear that Biden had won and Trump um, um, didn't want to uh, admit that. And it, it, it's worth noting that today, uh, buying into that Trump lie uh, that the election was stolen is basically a requirement now uh, for people remaining in the Senate, remaining um, um, members of um, the House of Representatives. Uh, otherwise, Trump is in a sufficiently strong position where he basically threatens them uh, that if you don't go with me, uh, I will make sure that you ain't going to be selected uh, next time. And at present, um, that isn't uh, uh, an idle, uh, an idle uh, threat. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, moving on. Right. Moving on. Uh, we have China. Um, and uh, that's worthwhile uh, talking about. Uh, we were talking about that, I think, a couple of, um, of uh, weeks ago, you know, about the idea of uh, China uh, peaking, um, no longer um, growing at 14%, maybe not growing any, um, you know, uh, anything like 6%, maybe growing something like uh, 2%. And uh, uh, China... Uh, maybe under those circumstances, uh, as the fact uh, dawns on its leadership uh, that the United States has uh, successfully uh, blocked its rise, uh, actually turning um, from, how should I put it, the weapons of um, trade, uh, the weapons of uh, production um, over to uh, military means. And in that context, it's certainly worth noting uh, the air flights vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, Taiwan. Um, maybe it's the case, and this is something I'm going to have to uh, look up, uh, that China has been doing this uh, for a decade, maybe longer, because we're not talking about uh, actual um, uh, Taiwanese uh, territory. We're talking about some sort of buffer zone um, you know, where the alarms go off in uh, Taipei and they scramble uh, their aircraft. Um, that's what we're actually uh, talking about. Either way, uh, we have uh, Z uh, saying that, um, that the country has to be reunited. And it's interesting just, you know, looking at the coverage of um, uh, these air flights and uh, the so-called uh, war threat. Um, how at least the BBC uh, is reporting it because it says, well, China claims uh, that China is one country. Um, on the other hand, we know that Taiwan is self-governing. It's a democracy. I just think we need to take a step back on this one. 
that uh, if we look at uh, Taiwan, uh, it wasn't that long ago that it represented the whole of China um, in the UN. Um, that clearly changed. It changed after the meeting between Nixon and Mao and uh, Kissinger and uh, Zhuang Lai. Uh, and the, the deal was cut uh, that uh, it would be China, China. It would be Beijing uh, that represents all of China um, in the UN. And of course, what that meant is uh, uh, China supplanting Taiwan, not only in terms of its seat in the UN General Assembly, but supplanting uh, Taiwan, uh, Taipei, uh, when it came to the Security uh, Council uh, as well. As you know, there are five permanent members of the Security Council, each of which can uh, veto um, uh, a vote. So uh, that was the deal. Um, and so if you look at uh, Taiwan today, there may be some countries uh, that diplomatically recognize um, 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 it, uh, but the vast majority uh, of countries recognize that the government of China is in Beijing and uh, very few recognize uh, Taiwan, um, e even as the government of Taiwan. And that includes uh, diplomatically, at least formally, uh, the United States uh, itself. So, of course, the United States is heavily involved in, um, uh, in, in Taiwan. It supplies Taiwan with lots of uh, military uh, equipment. Nonetheless, it doesn't recognize uh, uh, Taiwan. It doesn't have uh, an ambassador uh, uh, to um, the country. And what I wanted to do is just add in, uh, in terms of that story, um, Two, two points, and first of all, um, I don't know what's happening with it, and I don't know who knows what's happening with it, but you know, the real estate uh, sector uh, in China and uh, Everglade, is it gonna be allowed to uh, go bankrupt? Is it gonna be partially bailed out? Uh, I don't know. Um, um, but what, what needs to be understood about that is an awful lot of ordinary uh, Chinese um, you know, um, have relied on uh, real estate uh, basically to provide themselves with a pension. Uh, that's been their pension uh, plan. So if this company is simply allowed to go bust, uh, that's going to cause a huge amount of discontent, not only, you know, amongst the billionaire class uh, in China, but way down uh, the pyramid to ordinary people. And that's why, at least, you know, from my understanding, um, it will not be simply allowed to just go bust. Um, there'll be some sort of uh, rescue uh, package. Um, you know, it's a bit like um, uh, Britain uh, during the financial um, crisis that, uh, you know, National Westminster, the um, Bank of Scotland, the, these banks weren't allowed to simply uh, go bust, um, you know, um, Mrs. Thatcher said famously that you can't buck the market. Well, that's actually uh, what they did. Um, that was uh, Gordon Brown uh, for you. Um, anyway, uh, not only do we have um, uh, the danger of um, some sort of uh, meltdown when it comes to um, the Chinese uh, 
uh, real estate uh, market, some sort of readjustment in terms of uh, prices. But we also have, interestingly, um, power shortage. And um, it's worthwhile reading, you know, the financial pages um, on this one. Um, according to what I've read, and I'm not quite sure whether this is um, straightforward as it might appear, uh, the, the reason why China is experiencing power shortages, actual blackouts, is a clampdown on corruption in the mining um, um, industry. Now, that might be uh, a reference to the number of uh, miners uh, that were being killed in industrial um, accidents and um, the enforcement of um, legal, uh, existing legal um, safety uh, measures. That might be uh, what is being referred to. Either way, um, we've had a whole number of mines, in particular, as I understand it, in Inner Mongolia, which I think is, uh, how should I put it, the equivalent in uh, Chinese terms uh, uh, to what uh, Yorkshire, South Yorkshire, uh, used to be like uh, until um, Thatcher and uh, the, the Great Strike, uh, the defeat of the uh, Great Strike. Um, so what we have is a coal shortage. What we have is orders going out from uh, the central government to increase coal production. Uh, meanwhile, um, a lot of companies are, are saying uh, that they are considering quitting uh, China and going off to more reliable uh, countries such as Vietnam, uh, such as Indonesia um, and, and other countries um, um, are uh, uh, mentioned. Um, so again, that's quite a surprising um, uh, development because you think of China as very centralized with the government uh, being in command and such things shouldn't happen, uh, but they, they have. And again, um, you know, um, uh, with the um, COVID-19 um, recession um, in China, uh, with the COVID-19, how should you put it, um, recession globally, um, it will be very surprising um, if China, um, you know, returns to 6%, uh, 14% uh, uh, growth, um, not only um, uh, because of the, the global economy, uh, but also measures that the United States is uh, taking um, you know, to impose sanctions and to get its allies uh, to impose um, sanctions. So we've seen a lot of tit and tat um, in, in this respect, uh, for example, with Australia, with the Chinese refusing to order um, Australian iron, coal and wine. Uh, but now in this emergency, apparently it's turning back uh, to Australia um, in spite of the AUKUS uh, agreement and those um, nuclear powered submarines that will be coming in who knows how many uh, years. Okay, uh, talking about power cuts, I don't think that anything similar um, uh, um, uh, to China about it, but uh, power cuts, there are complete power uh, cuts. Uh, and obviously what I'm talking about here is uh, Lebanon 
Um, it's true that some will have uh, their own um, generators, uh, but I suspect somehow uh, that uh, even getting hold of petrol uh, is going to be difficult in that country. I mean, here is a classic example uh, of a failed state. And it, again, it's worthwhile just thinking about this state historically. Um, this was a state that was designed uh, by the colonial power France, and it was designed uh, to guarantee a Christian majority um, um, in the political um, institutions, um, even though they didn't have uh, an actual uh, majority in the country. And of course, what's happened uh, since then um, is the Christian minority has become more of a minority and the majority Muslim population has become more of a majority, but we basically, well, we still got the same um, constitution um, that the French um, left. It, it's completely, um, you know, um, uh, malfunctioning. I don't think it's really the word, non-functioning um, um, in terms of a country. And having mentioned um, energy and power, um, I can't uh, resist the temptation to look at Britain and just uh, imagine uh, the headlines uh, as things get colder in Britain with winter uh, coming on um, and uh, yeah, talk of uh, uh, shelves uh, being emptied and uh, the British public not being able to eat turkey, at least not um, in the same quantity. Um, as they are used to, a, a remarkable uh, thing. Um, so yeah, we have a situation of where, uh, because global um, uh, prices are shooting up, um, we've got a situation of where some households um, don't have uh, a price cap. Certainly businesses uh, don't, and a lot of businesses are brought in um, to deals uh, with gas companies uh, that basically reflect what they hoped were low uh, global um, energy prices, uh, and they didn't factor in what happens if it goes uh, the other way. The other uh, point that ought to be made here is that the energy industry has run on basically a just-in-time um, uh, method. In other words, the, the storage capacity that they used to have uh, has been dumped. Um, um, and that, that's true with oil. It's certainly true uh, with gas. Um, so they're having to buy in very expensive uh, gas uh, as opposed to buying when it's cheap, storing it um, and basically using up that storage, that stored capacity while prices are high and then you come out um, uh, of that particular shadow, and then again, you stock up uh, when prices uh, are cheap again. Well, that doesn't exist uh, in the way uh, that it did. And of course, what we have is the privatization of this industry. We were told that that would uh, produce lower prices, and no doubt it has, but it didn't tell us it would also produce higher uh, prices, and it has. Um, so yes, in Britain, um, I'm thinking, you know, uh, what uh, every editor uh, will be um, thinking, uh, you know, in winter, 
it will be the winter of discontent. Um, it's a famous phrase, um, not only from Shakespeare, uh, but it was famously used in 1979 uh, as the Labour government um, came to an end and it was accompanied by a spontaneous wave of economic strikes led from below. This was spontaneous. It wasn't the trade union uh, leaders. Uh, it was workers. And this was in a period of high inflation. Um, and it basically, you know, um, ended uh, badly, ended with a Thatcher uh, 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 government. So I'm not suggesting for a moment that uh, the Tory government is about to fall. Uh, nevertheless, I think the uh, cartoon that I've been told about in the Times, you know, puts its finger on it. Um, and that's, um, you know, Boris Johnson. And um, I think it's people shouting at him, you know, uh, crisis, crisis. And he's saying, what uh, crisis? Um, because there isn't one, uh, there's our number uh, of crisis. And again, I think that was a reference originally to Jim Callaghan, uh, the Labour Prime Minister, when he was asked about the crisis in the pound and he shrugged his shoulders, I think, and said, what crisis? Well, there we are. So what crisis in Britain? There is uh, a crisis or certainly there's a pending uh, crisis. And certainly in terms of um, some individual consumers you know, they, they're talking about their gas prices, not just doubling, but sometimes quadrupling. Uh, and we have a situation of where um, heavy industry uh, is turning around to the government and saying, well, unless you sort something out very soon, we are stopping steel production. Um, and one just carries on uh, along uh, the list. One presumes the government will act, uh, but we wait and see. Okay. Um, Let's look at, see what else we've got. Right, okay. Well, I wanted to finish with um, two um, sporting um, stories. It's not something um, we normally uh, cover, but I think it is worthwhile uh, mentioning. First of all, the takeover of um, Newcastle uh, United Football Club. The figure I've got is um, 300 uh, million. I don't know whether Mike Ashley has done well uh, out of that. I just haven't got a clue uh, on that score. Um, but of course, what the controversy uh, about the takeover is, is that in reality, uh, what we're talking about is the takeover of uh, Newcastle um, football club, uh, Newcastle United Football Club uh, by MBS, Mohammed bin um, Salman, uh, the um, crown prince of Saudi Arabia, who at the present time, as I understand it, because he actually isn't the king, uh, that if he came to Britain, he's in danger of being arrested. Um, he hasn't got um, a sufficient diplomatic immunity. Uh, to avoid that. Therefore, he will not be sitting in the MBS stand uh, in uh, Newcastle, at least until his dad uh, dies. Um, okay, so what we have in uh, Newcastle, uh, I think that this uh, is undoubtedly the case. 
is that the local population and certainly uh, the local um, fans um, um, of the football club are overjoyed uh, by this news. They're not uh, worried about MBS and uh, chopping up uh, some bloody poor uh, journalist. Uh, they're not worried about the locking up of uh, women uh, who protested uh, about the ban on females um, uh, driving alone um, on the highways in uh, Saudi uh, Arabia. What they are worried about uh, is decades uh, where Newcastle um, hasn't got any silverware. Um, that, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, Newcastle was a leading uh, club uh, and it's been in the doldrums um, for a long, long time. And what they're hoping is that um, the takeover by the Saudi wealth fund, as I said, in reality, uh, the crown uh, prince will see a massive injection of cash um, um, into the club, basically, uh, to buy new players, star uh, players. Um, now, there are those on the left uh, that think that football is all about money, or at least it is when it comes to the Premier League. And it's true that when you look at Newcastle United, which is a global brand with the Glaziers uh, coming in, that was about money. That was about uh, uh, the fan financialization um, of uh, the Manchester United uh, image. And it was about generating uh, money uh, as profit in order to put it uh, elsewhere and to use it as capital. Uh, that was a typical capitalist operation. I don't know whether the Glaziers are football fans. Don't think so. Uh, but they are definitely into sport uh, as a business and they've got a big franchise uh, when it comes to American sport, uh, for example. So snapping up Manchester United uh, was definitely a commercial move. On the other hand, you cannot say that uh, about Chelsea um, with uh, Abramovich. You cannot say that uh, with uh, Manchester City uh, and other such uh, clubs uh, where, um, in essence, the rulers uh, various um, oil-rich uh, countries have uh, gone in and um, uh, bought up uh, these um, prestige um, acquisitions. Um, this has got nothing to do uh, with Bin, uh, uh, <laughs> Bin Salman being short of a bob or two. How do I make some money out of Newcastle United? It's got absolutely nothing to do with that. And the fans know it. Uh, what they recognise is that far from actually sucking money out, um, 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 you know, from the sale of the tickets or the TV rights or whatever it happens to be, quite the opposite uh, will be happening. Um, how they get around the various regulations, well, that's up to the experts, that's up to the lawyers uh, to sort out. Uh, but no, what they're looking towards is a huge amount of money coming in. And that's what happened uh, with Chelsea. That's what happened uh, with uh, Manchester City. So what they're hoping is that this will put Man uh, um, Newcastle United back at the top uh, and indeed in a winning 
position because what we're dealing with here is um, fabulous uh, wealth, uh, absolutely huge amounts uh, of wealth uh, is available and they will spend it, yeah, I'm sure, uh, on upgrading the um, stadium, uh, but above all, it will go in wages, wages um, uh, for, for players. So uh, this isn't about profit. Uh, this is about use value uh, as far as MBS uh, is concerned. This will enhance his reputation. Uh, this is about um, him uh, actually um, gaining um, something in terms of consumption um, when it comes to uh, Newcastle United. You can say if you want that this is to do with the state, uh, but I'm not convinced um, on that. Uh, this, is, this shows you um, an autocrat uh, at work and an autocrat indulging uh, their whims in the same way uh, that, uh, you know, the kings of France when they built Versailles. Uh, it's fundamentally no different uh, to that, and that needs to be understood. So this isn't about profit, banging the head uh, of the SWP um, and um, that sort of um, um, ilk uh, on this particular uh, question. Okay. Um, well, the other sporting story is, um, well, it's a pretty indirect sporting story, I have to confess on this one, is Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid al Makuman. That's the best you're going to get from me. He's the uh, ruler of uh, Dubai, and I think he's something like the vice president, I could be wrong, vice president of the um, UEA, um, United Arab um, um, Emirates. Um, either way, he's an, another guy, not quite as rich as uh, MBS, but he's sort of up there. And his uh, sport is horse racing. And um, what we now know is that the Queen will not be welcoming him, him in uh, next time um, there's uh, the races at Ascot. Why? It's not because he's uh, chopped up some bloody poor uh, journalist and, uh, um, you know, denied all knowledge. <laughs> it's not that. It's how he's treated um, his wife, um, uh, again, someone from, you know, high society, um, Princess Haya. And uh, what, we, what we know uh, from the uh, court case um, is that um, not only was her phone bugged, uh, but it was bugged using this um, Pegasus uh, spyware. Uh, this is the uh, spyware that was... Um, uh, developed and sold uh, by Israel. We're talking about a private company, it's true, but nonetheless, the sale has to be agreed by the state. And uh, on the label it has, this spyware should only be used against known mafiosa or terrorists. Well, quite frankly, if Princess uh, Haya, um, you know, is anything, she ain't a terrorist and uh, she ain't, uh, well, a mafiosa. Uh, what she is, is someone um, who um, uh, this, uh, this sheikh uh, wanted uh, to get the dirt on, uh, someone who obviously is a control freak. And yes, uh, what we had is the bugging of her phone uh, with incredibly sophisticated um, spyware. So this is spyware uh, that you don't need to even be using your phone 
the phone will be listening uh, to what's going on um, um, anyway. Um, so he would have been aware of everything that she was doing. Well, OK, um, so what this guy uh, likes, as I said, is horses. And um, I think he not only owns more land uh, in Britain uh, than Her Majesty, um, I think he also owns more horses uh, than Her Majesty. Um, and what I wanted just to finish with is looking at the attitude of the British aristocracy, in particular the so-called royal family, uh, to these uh, aristocrats uh, in the Middle East, uh, these Arab uh, aristocrats, and how, how they actually are kindred spirits. Um, so yeah, it's true that MBS has chopped up a journalist, and it's true that the Sheikh hasn't treated his wife well. Uh, nevertheless, when it comes to social occasions, while that might be not on the immediate uh, agenda, uh, these are people that they socialize with. Um, and that definitely isn't the case uh, with military uh, dictators, um, uh, you know, let alone uh, when it comes to, you know, leaders of um, countries such as China, the former Soviet Union, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, and all the rest of it. Um, anyway, the difference is, is quite uh, simple, and that is, first of all, uh, that these people uh, are not just mere monarchs in some symbolic sense, uh, they are monarchs in the absolute sense. And again, just to underline the point, uh, they were put in um, by uh, countries such as Britain. And that's certainly the case uh, with Arabia. Uh, that was the case uh, in Egypt before NASA. That was the case in Iraq. Uh, that was the case uh, not with um, uh, Britain, but France uh, with uh, uh, Syria, that these, the constitutions of these countries uh, was drawn up, um, you know, in conjunction, um, basically, uh, with the, the Foreign Office. Uh, that's what we actually um, have. So there's a, a, a very, how should put it, tight, um, uh, how should put it, um, interweaving uh, the British establishment and uh, the oil-rich aristocracy um, um, in the in the Middle East, the former colonial uh, Middle East. That's it. Thank you.